Letter One by Isabella L. Bird from Unbeaten Tracks in Japan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Bologna Times. Letter One of Unbeaten Tracks in Japan by Isabella L. Bird for the Tales of the Cities compilation. First View of Japan A Vision of Fujisan. Japanese sampans, Pullman cars, undignified locomotion, paper money, the drawbacks of Japanese traveling. Oriental Hotel, Yokohama, May 21st. Eighteen days of unintermitted, rolling over, desolate, rainy seas brought the city of Tokyo earlier yesterday morning to Cape King, and by noon we were steaming up the Gulf of Yedo quite near the shore. The day was soft and gray with a little faint blue sky, and, though the coast of Japan is much more prepossessing than most coasts, there were no startling surprises either of color or form. Broken wooded ridges, deeply cleft, rise from the water's edge. Gray, deep-rooted villages cluster about the mouths of the ravines and terraces of rice cultivation, bright with the greenness of English lawns, run up to a great height among dark masses of upland forest. The populousness of the coast is very impressive, and the gulf everywhere was equally peopled with fishing boats, of which we passed not only hundreds but thousands in five hours. The coast and sea were pale, and the boats were pale too, their hulls being unpainted wood, and their sails pure white duck. Now and then a high-sterned junk drifted by like a phantom galley. Then we slackened speed to avoid exterminating a fleet of triangular-looking fishing boats with white square sails, and so on through the grayness and dumbness hour after hour. For long I looked in vain for Fujisan, and failed to see it, though I heard ecstasies all over the deck till, accidentally looking heavenwards instead of earthwards, I saw far above any possibility of height, as one would have thought, a huge truncated cone of pure snow, thirteen thousand and eighty feet above the sea, from which it sweeps upwards in a glorious curve, very wan, against a very pale blue sky, with its base and the intervening country veiled in a pale gray mist. It was a wonderful vision, and shortly, as a vision, vanished. Except the cone of Tristan d'Acuna, also a cone of snow, I never saw a mountain rise in such lonely majesty, with nothing near or far to detract from its height and grandeur. No wonder that it is a sacred mountain, and so dear to the Japanese, that their art is never weary of representing it, it was nearly fifty miles off when we first saw it. The air and water were alike motionless. The mist was still and pale. Gray clouds lay restfully on a bluish sky. The reflections of the white sails of the fishing boats scarcely quivered. It was all so pale, wan, and ghastly, that the turbulence of crumpled foam, which we left behind us, and our noisy, throbbing progress, seemed a boisterous intrusion upon sleeping Asia. The gulf narrowed, the forest-crested hills, the terraced ravines, the picturesque gray villages, 
the quiet beach life and the pale blue masses of the mountains of the interior became more visible fuji retired into the mist in which he enfolds his grandeur for most of the summer we passed reception bay perry island webster island cape saratoga and mississippi bay american nomenclature which perpetuates the, the success of american diplomacy and not far from treaty point came upon a red lightship with the words treaty point in large letters upon her outside of this no foreign vessel may anchor the bustle among my fellow passengers many of whom were returning home and all of whom expected to be met by friends left me at leisure as i looked at unattractive unfamiliar yokohama and the pale gray land stretched out before me to speculate somewhat sadly on my destiny on these strange shores on which i have not even an acquaintance on mooring we were at once surrounded by crowds of native boats called by foreigners sampans and dr gulick a near relation of my hilo friends came on board to meet his daughter welcomed me cordially and relieved me of all the trouble of disembarkation these sampans are very clumsy-looking but are managed with great dexterity by the boatmen who gave and received any number of bumps with much good-nature and without any of the shouting and swearing in which competitive boatmen usually indulge the partially triangular shape of these boats approaches that of a salmon fisher's punt used on certain british rivers being floored gives them the appearance of being absolutely flat-bottomed but though they tilt readily they are very safe being heavily built and fitted together with singular precision with wooden bolts and a few copper cleats they are sculled not what we should call rowed by two or four men with very heavy oars made of two pieces of wood working on pins placed on outrigger bars the men skull standing and use the thigh as a rest for the oar they all wear a single wide-sleeved scanty blue cotton garment not fastened or girdled at the waist straw sandals kept on by a thong passing between the great toe and the others and if they wear any headgear it is only a wisp of blue cotton tied round the forehead the one garment is only an apology for clothing and displays lean concave chests and lean muscular limbs the skin is very yellow and often much tattooed with mythical beasts the charge for sampans is fixed by tariff so the traveller lands without having his temper ruffled by extortionate demands the first thing that impressed me on landing was that there were no loafers and that all the small ugly kindly-looking shriveled bandy-legged round-shouldered concave-chested poor-looking beings in the streets had some affairs of their own to mind at the top of the landing steps there was a portable restaurant a neat and most compact thing with charcoal stove cooking and eating utensils complete but it looked as if it were made by and for dolls and the mannequin who kept it was not five feet high at the custom-house we were attended to by minute officials in blue uniforms of european pattern and leather boots very civil creatures who opened and examined our trunks carefully and strapped them up again 
contrasting pleasingly with the insolent and rapacious officials who performed the same duties at New York. Outside were about fifty of the now well-known gentikishas, and the air was full of a buzz produced by the rapid reiteration of this uncouth word by fifty tongues. This conveyance, as you know, is a feature of Japan, growing in importance every day. It was only invented seven years ago, and already there are nearly twenty-three thousand in one city, and men can make so much more by drawing them than by almost any kind of skilled labor, that thousands of fine young men desert agricultural pursuits and flock into the towns to make draught animals of themselves, though it is said that the average duration of a man's life after he takes to running is only five years, and that the runners fall victim in large numbers to aggravated forms of heart and lung disease. Over tolerably level ground a good runner can trot forty miles a day, at a rate of about four miles an hour. They are registered and taxed at eight s a year, for one carrying two persons, and four s for one which carries one only, and there is a regular tariff for time and distance. The Kuruma, or Genri Kisha, consists of a light perambulator body, an adjustable hood of oiled paper, a velvet or cloth lining and cushion, a well for parcels under the seat, two high slim wheels, and a pair of shafts connected by a bar at the ends. The body is usually lacquered and decorated according to its owner's taste. Some show little except polished brass, others are altogether inlaid with shells known as Venus's ear, and others are gaudily painted with contorted dragons or groups of peonies, hydrangeas, chrysanthemums, and mythical personages. They cost from two pounds upwards. The shafts rest on the ground at a steep incline as you get in. It must require much practice to enable one to mount with ease or dignity. The runner lifts them up, gets into them, gives the body a good tilt backwards, and goes off at a smart trot. They are drawn by one, two, or three men, according to the speed desired by the occupants. When rain comes on, the man puts up the hood, and ties you and it closely up in a covering of oiled paper, in which you are invisible. At night, whether running or standing still, they carry prettily painted circular paper lanterns eighteen inches long. It is most comical to see stout, florid, solid-looking merchants, missionaries, male and female, fashionably dressed ladies, armed with card-cases, Chinese compradors, and Japanese peasant men and women flying along Main Street, which is like the decent, respectable high street of a dozen forgotten country towns in England. In happy unconsciousness of the ludicrousness of their appearance, racing, chasing, crossing each other, their lean, polite, pleasant runners in their great hats, shaped like inverted bowls, their incomprehensible blue tights, and their short blue overshirts with badges or characters in white upon them, tearing along, their yellow faces streaming with perspiration, laughing, shouting, and avoiding collisions by a mere shave. After a visit to the consulate, I entered a Karuma, and, with two ladies and two more, was bowled along at a furious pace by a laughing little mannequin down Main Street, 
a narrow solid well-paved street with well-made sidewalks curbstones and gutters with iron lamp-posts gas lamps and foreign shops all along its length to this quiet hotel recommended by sir wyville thompson which offers a refuge from the nasal twang of my fellow voyagers who have all gone to the caravanserelles on the bund the host is a frenchman but he relies on a chinaman the servants are japanese boys in japanese clothes and there is a japanese groom of the chambers in faultless english costume who perfectly appalls me by the elaborate politeness of his manner almost as soon as i arrived i was obliged to go in search of mr fraser's office in the settlement i say search for there are no names on the streets where there are numbers they have no sequence and i met no europeans on foot to help me in my difficulty yokohama does not improve on further acquaintance it has a dead alive look it has irregularity without picturesqueness and the gray sky gray sea gray houses and gray roofs look harmoniously dull no foreign money except the mexican dollar passes in japan and mr fraser's comprador soon metamorphosed my english gold into japanese satsu or paper money a bundle of yen nearly a par just now with the dollar packets of fifty twenty and ten sen notes and some rouleau of very neat copper coins the initiated recognize the different denominations of paper money at a glance by their differing colors and sizes but at present they are a distracting mystery to me the notes are pieces of stiff paper with chinese characters at the corners near which with exceptionally good eyes or a magnifying glass one can discern an english word denoting the value they are very neatly executed and are ornamented with chrysanthemum crest of the mikado and the interlaced dragons of the empire i long to get away into real japan mr wilkinson h b m s acting consul called yesterday and was extremely kind he thinks that my plan for travelling in the interior is rather too ambitious but that it is perfectly safe for a lady to travel alone and agrees with everybody else in thinking that legions of fleas and the miserable horses are the great drawbacks of japanese travelling end of letter one by isabella l bird